I think I knew from the day I was 13 that I would go to prison. I know that sounds bizarre, but I think I always knew. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Jailhouse Lawyers Speak is a network of imprisoned advocates originally based in South Carolina. Based on years of grassroots organizing, they were instrumental in organizing the 2018 National Prison Strike. Earlier this week, JLS released a new call for mobilization beginning August 2020. Here it is. To all in solidarity with the prisoners' human rights movement, we are reaching out to those that have been amplifying our voices in these state, federal, or immigration jails and prisons, and to allies that uplifted the national prison strike demands in 2018. We call on you again to organize the communities from August 21st to September 9th, 2020, by hosting actions, events, and demonstrations that call for prisoner human rights and to end prison slavery. We must remind people and legal powers in this nation that the prisoners' human rights are a priority. If we aren't moving forward, we're moving backward. For those of us in chains, backward is not an option. We have nothing to lose but our chains. Some people claim that the prisoners' human rights have advanced since the last national prison strike in 2018. We strongly disagree. But due to prisoners organizing inside and allies organizing beyond the walls, solidarity with our movement has increased. The only reason we hear conversations referencing prison reforms in every political campaign today is because of the work of prison organizers and our allies. But as organizers in prisons, we understand that this is not enough. Just as quickly as we've gained around, Others are already funding projects and talking points to set back those advances. Our only way to hold our ground while moving forward is to remind people where we are and where we are headed. On August 21st to September 9th, we call on everyone in solidarity with us to organize an action, a panel discussion, a rally, an art event, a film screening, or another kind of demonstration to promote prisoners' human rights. Whatever is within your ability, we ask that you shake the nation out of any fog that they may be in about prisoners' human rights and the criminal legal system, legalized enslavement. During these solidarity events, we request that organizers amplify immediate issues prisoners in your state face and demands from the national prison strike of 2018 and uplift Jailhouse Lawyers Speak's new international law project. We've started the International Law Project to engage in the international community with a formal complaint about human rights abuses in U.S. prisons. This project will seek prisoners' testimonials from across the country to establish a case against the United States Prison Industrial Slave Complex on international human rights grounds. Presently working on this legally is the National Lawyers Guild's Prisoners' Rights Committee and another attorney, Anne LaBarbera, members of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, Fight Toxic Prisons, and I Am We Prisoners Advocacy Network, Millions for Prisoners, are also working to support these efforts. The National Lawyers Guild Prisoners' Rights Committee, Jennifer Jones Esquire, and Audrey Bombs will be taking the lead on this project. The national prison strike demands of 2018 have not changed. As reflected publicly by the recent deaths of Mississippi prisoners, the crisis in this nation's prisons persists. Mississippi prisons are on national display at the moment, and we know shortly afterward there will be another parchment in another state with the same issues. 
the U.S. has demonstrated a reckless disregard for human lives in cages. The prison strike demands were drafted as a path to alleviate the dehumanizing process and conditions people are subjected to while going through this nation's judicial system. Following up on these demands communicates to the world that prisoners are heard and that prisoners' human rights are a priority. In the spirit of Attica, will you be in the fight to dismantle the prison industrial slave complex by pushing agendas that will shut down jails and prisons like Rikers Island or Attica? Read the Attica Rebellion Demands and read the National Prison Strike 2018 Demands. Ask yourself what you can do to see the 2018 National Prison Strike Demands through. We rage with George Jackson's blood in my eyes and move in the spirit of the Attica Rebellion. August 21st to September 9th, 2020. Agitate, educate, organize. Dare to struggle, dare to win. We are Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. IDOC Watch founder Angaza Imam Bahar was scheduled to be released in June 2020 after over 27 years in prison. He's been locked up continuously since age 19. His family had plans for a reunion in Indianapolis to celebrate his release. Then, just a couple weeks ago, his release date was suddenly pushed back to October because he's been falsely accused of having a cell phone and found guilty without proper due process. His supporters ask that you call 317-232-5711, extension 2, extension 3, extension 1, and email IDOC Chief Counsel Robert Booger, that's R-B-U-G-H-E-R, at idoc.in.gov to demand the charges be dropped. We'll have more on Angaza's story in an upcoming episode. On this week's episode, we share the story of Nick, a longtime Bloomingtonian who passed through both private prisons and those run by the Indiana Department of Corrections. He provides much-needed reflections on how prison conflicts are produced by the administrators, the role of harm reduction and medication-assisted treatment, and the wasted human potential confined inside the prison walls. His sense of humor is an armor while he helps us confront the reality of the system's violence. My name is Nick. I'm uh, 44 years old. I was born in Bloomington, had a absolutely wonderful childhood. My mother, Martha, was amazing and raised all five of us kids as if we had a father. I had multiple mothers who helped raise me and multiple ad hoc fathers who helped raise me. I can't blame any of my problems on anything other than my boredom or lack thereof. Uh, I started getting in trouble when I was young. Basic boredom and couldn't find any way to send my, couldn't find anything to do that really made me happy. Uh, For some reason, drugs kind of did that. And I don't know that they did it because I had trauma or anything like that. It was just kind of a place I fell into. I think it made me friends. I didn't have a real friend system until I had drugs and it kind of just got me automatic into every click and my world of youth was kind of a clicky one, I guess. So I started getting in trouble as a youth. Uh, dumb stuff. Uh, like, I think my first case was a conversion over some railway cars on the tracks that I wanted to get into for just to see what was in there. And I think we got... The cops saw us and arrested me, and I got a charge. Uh, my mom sat me down then and said, Nick, you do not want to go down this path. I've lost many friends to this and explained to me about some people I knew and cared for who'd done time, and I didn't listen to any of it. I think I knew from the day I was 13 that I would go to prison. I know that sounds bizarre, but I think I always knew. 
Uh, I also think I always knew I wanted to be an addict. Not an addict. I always knew I wanted to be involved in opiates. I know that sounds really odd, but opium always seemed like such a wonderful bliss to me, and I don't know how to explain that in any other way. Anyways, so I kept getting in trouble on and off. Most of it was related to just rebellious, not understanding that all the laws seemed to be bull****. It all just seemed to be a big ruse. The whole world I lived in just seemed to be an absolute joke. We could do this, we could not do that. You could have possession of this and get arrested, but possession of something that hurt you twice as bad was okay. You know, I was encouraged to drink by my world around me and not encouraged to smoke weed, and I just, I think I just didn't get it, and I knew it was a farce, so in my rebellion, I thought, well, I'm just going to do everything. So as I progressed with my life and criminal activity, I wouldn't say that addiction really did anything to me. It was more just my attitude of being bored and finding an identity in drugs and the world around it. I was poor, so I sold drugs for money. Uh, I wasn't always the best at that, because I usually did all the drugs I got and then had to find some crazy way to make up the money. But, I tried. Uh, as soon as I got to be about 18 or 19, I was into some serious stuff and started getting arrested for larger things. Some dealing weed charges and some various DUIs and stuff accompanying with that. That probably on the outside looks like it was my addiction doing it, but I, to be honest with you, I knew everything I was doing. I wasn't coerced or not in the right frame of mind. I just didn't care. I, I knew what was doing was wrong. I knew that the lying, stealing, whatever it was, was absolutely wrong and that I could stop at any point. I just didn't care. Not in an addiction sort of way, just that I just didn't care. I don't know how else to explain it. I was out on probation for my dealing charges where a friend had snitched on me to uh, get out of some room, dumb breaking into a car charge or something. He was mad because I wouldn't give him a firearm because I didn't believe in giving people like him firearms or anybody firearms that I had access to or didn't have access to. So he told on me and I ended up with a dealing marijuana charge and went and got a lawyer. My mom spent all her money to get a lawyer and then the lawyer got arrested for tax evasion and this whole cascade of events happened. Uh, I got arrested in Hamilton County for a couple grains in a baggie, which they gave me a, a misdemeanor. And then finally, as I was on probation for both of these crimes, I started to put together this scam for kiting checks. Kited checks and figured I'd do federal time, like six months, and they'd send me some program somewhere or something. In the middle of all this, I went into the Army recruitment barracks, and they said, yes, they'd take me if the judge would vacate my felonies. Well, the judge said he didn't believe I needed to vacate those felonies. He thought I should just go to DOC. That was Judge Welch. Real, real stand-up guy. So, I went to DOC. They finally, everything finally caught up with me, and uh, the police arrested me, questioned me for four hours about heroin, then told me I had charges that were forgery. So, off I went. I went in 98, mid-98, I got locked up, and when I was in the county, they sent me to RDC, which is a holding center, and in RDC, they, one morning after being there a month or so, they bring us downstairs and suit us up and put us in this real early in the morning, put us in this weird Grey Goose, and I'm thinking I'm going to Westville or some horror story prison where I'm going to have to fight every day, and they send me down to Kentucky 
to a CCA prison called Otter Creek, like eight and a half miles away. So we're pulling into, you know, this prison, which is like an old coal sledge mine. And it used to be a fed camp, like a level one fed camp that had been turned into a level two, three, four CCA uh, private prison. Uh, they took me there and I got in there. It looked like Cool Hand Luke when I walked up, when we drove up. People were hoeing dirt. It was crazy. So as we pulled up for that, I realized I was in another place and not in any place I knew of. So I did some time there, which was really bizarre. It was open movement, which Indiana is not open movement. And it's like the food was grade D. They had horrid food. Everything you could get on commissary, you could buy. So if you had money, you were doing real good. But if you were poor, like me, you were f You just ate whatever garbage they gave you and hoped to God you didn't have some something wrong with you. So I just kind of eked on and... I don't know, just dealt with it. I tried to modify my sentence. Uh, they let me back, come back for a court case and modified me out to this rehab. Well, I was not ready for rehab. I wasn't ready for any of that stuff. So, of course, I used right away, or I can't even remember what the whole deal was, but, and I got sent, I violated my, my stuff and got sent right back. This time they sent me to the, uh, State Farm, which is in Putnamville, uh, where I did the rest of my time, except for a couple times of leaving for court cases and getting stuck in the wrong prison. DOC is a weird place. When you send you for court and you go back to RDC, sometimes you go to your prison, sometimes you go through RDC. It really depends on what the court says. So it's kind of this weird, bizarre trip. One time I dropped to a level one and then uh, got busted back up to level two. I mean, I went through about three or four different prisons, but... uh. Usually it's pretty much the same fare, you know, some person who believes that by having a job they're taking care of you or warehousing you and you kind of try not to piss them off and try to just do your time. Uh, nothing significant really happened to me. I mean, a few fights, a few this and that, you know, but mostly what got me was the time and the waste of humanity, of I wish I could put this in a better scene, but they could have done something better with me. Uh, you know, you put all these people and you warehouse them for victimless crimes, you know, and there could be something, anything better than sitting in a place where you just think all the time and read and do nothing and sleep and maybe you get a job, but the job is inconsequential because all you're doing is mowing for the people that are housing you or working in some place for the people that are have locked you up. So it's, it's a really odd juxtaposition, and then you have to be nice to these people or they'll make your time real bad, so it's not like you can ever voice a concern. There's no hospital or healthcare in prison. It's all a joke. you know. So basically, you sit there, and you hope to God nothing really bad happens to you, and you wait until you can get out. And like for me, uh, my original sentence was three and a half years. That's like with the good time. But I ended up doing like almost all of my seven years because I lost good time for smoking or fighting or this or that, you know. And it's really hard not to lose time. I mean, they make it so that anything you do, you can lose time from. And, you know, you, you hear these two-do-ones, you know, or this time where day one, one day served is another, it counts for two days, and that's great and all, but if you get in trouble, they take that away. So at one point I was doing day for day, really right until I left, when I happened to get back my time class, 
just on a lark. The time had went up, and I was in a nice dorm, and nothing happened to me, so I got my time back and walked out a month later. But I probably would have been in there the whole time had that not bizarre twist of moving to a different dorm happened, and it happened to be an okay dorm. And I wish I could say something really concrete about my time in prison, except for that it just felt like there was a waste of so much that could be, you know, the poten- the waste of the potential in prison is disgusting. It's like, these people could be cleaning up schools, they could be coming something, they could be anything, but there is no rehabilitation. Our system firmly removes that. Everything is punitive. And it's, it's an odd juxtaposition to think, my whole life I've thought this system was rigged and bad things were, you know, good things only happen to people with money or power. And then you go to prison and you realize, no, that's how it really is. You didn't just think it, it's right, this is how it is. And you'll watch, you'll meet these people in prison that are beautiful people, you know, but they have to act a certain way because they're in prison. And then that turns into them doing something stupid and staying there. I met so many people who did one stupid thing in prison to be okay or to fit in and are then doing life or 10 years or 5 years or, you know, wanted to smoke some weed and they get busted with weed and they get an outside case there and have to do that time then another 3 years for smoking a joint. It's just ridiculous, you know? And our system is so broken, I don't know how to fix it. I just know that we're sick and bleeding out. You know, our system especially the penal system, feels like a a dying body that just keeps bleeding out. And most of the people I met were in there for drugs or because of drugs or some nonviolent crime, and they were just hoping to God they get out. Everyone's scared. Everyone tries to put on their best face. Everyone has loved ones. Everyone wants to be somewhere else. Everyone wants to be something else. But it never happens like that because that's taken away. Once you get locked up and you go through DOC, there's this part of you that you lose. And it's funny, you'll meet people from DOC and you know that they know that little something, that little feeling of totally being caged that not many other people know. And unless you've been there and felt that, it's really hard to, to try to describe it to someone else because it's something that is intrinsic in your soul at that point. Like, what gets taken from you, you can't replace. I mean, I've tried to. I've tried to do positive things, live a positive life. And nothing replaces that something that got taken away by what I feel nothing I did wrong. I mean, I never hurt anybody. I never physically hurt anybody. I I tried to do right. I gave to my friends. I tried to help. I loved my family. You know, I just, you know, for the most part, it was just trying to have more than what society had given me, you know, or what society felt I deserved or however you want to say it. When I got out of prison... Uh, I thought a new start was here. You know, I thought, okay, I'm going to do things different. I'm going to be something different. But they don't prepare you for anything. Yeah, they tell you, like, you know, you're on parole, and what do you need, and how can we help? And they give you this little one-hour class and everything, but none of that really helps. Like, I'd never had a real checking account. I'd never had a real job, per se. I'd never cared to have a real job or school. I never cared about anything, you know, because I never thought it was worth it, you know. So you get out, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do right. And I moved back into my mom's house because it's all I had. And, uh, you know, my mom just wants me to be okay, you know. And you try hard, and you try hard. Well, for me, I knew what I was going to do. Luckily, I didn't get arrested again. I just went through some hard times and got put on, luckily, uh, MAT, but it was for pain. 
But it did both things for me, and uh, MAT really saved my life. More for the fact that I finally got to talk to somebody and deal with my and was ready to deal with it. And I think it's more because of the family I had and the life I was brought up with that I was able to, to help myself or get help I needed. It had nothing to do with prison. Had I not had the family life I was raised with and, and been with the mother and family I had, when I got out of prison, I would have been right back. You know, it, it, it's really hard to shake the attitude of once you've been in the belly of the beast and you understand that things are truly rigged, that our whole society is rigged from the jump to the end it's really hard to see anything in any real terms after that. All you can see is, well, they make, you know, arbitrary laws to lock us up with. You know, they bring in the drugs, then they feed them to people. Then they bust the people once the drugs are there and churn money out of us. So we all become just used in this big, long, abusive system that does nothing but strip your humanity away. And it does so very effectively. It is a very effective system. It works very well. And I don't mean, like, pleasantly well. I just mean it works. You know, what it does to you once you're inside, and if you're not strong or have a good support system, you will turn into something that they want you to turn in, which is a reoccurring income. And, uh, you know, that's just what prison is. It's just a part of our capitalist system that churns out money for the state by bilking taxpayers for crimes that people don't even need to be arrested for. Evidence base shows us that the whole thing with drugs and them being illegal is a total scam. You know, we all know this. Hell, the government knows it. Everyone knows it. But I'm... I digress. I could talk that for hours. But I got out and I got okay. After MAT and a wonderful woman who I married and I just... Decided I didn't want to live that way anymore. I contracted hepatitis C, tried to get it cleared, and Medicaid kept saying no. And again, I was in the same place, you know? They wouldn't treat me because I wasn't sick enough. They wouldn't listen to me, and they just didn't care to treat me. Uh, when I first got sick, they treated me with this ribavirin pegylated interferon, which was a horrid system of drugs that just ripped your body apart. So I let them do that for the first time, and it just ripped me apart. And everything I said to them fell on, you know, dry eyes and shut ears. Until I was just so broken and messed up that I stopped dealing with the health system whatsoever. And, and indirect antivirals came out a little while later, and I tried to get those, and they just turned me down ten times in a row. Thankfully, I had a community that actually gave it about me, and community cured me. So I never got Medicaid cured. Somebody in the community, a group in the community, cured me. They did it without cause. They did it without money. They did it without care that I ever repaid them. They did it simply to cure me. So at that point, uh, they also sent me to a place, uh, or sent me to a conference uh, with a group called NVHR, which is the National Viral Hepatitis Roundtable. And it wasn't until I got there that I really realized that all this thing I'd been through and what my mom had been telling me and a life of service and all these things finally came together to realize that no matter what, it's incumbent upon me to fight, to do something. Even if I'm just helping people. Even if I'm just saying how messed up the system is. Even if I'm recording this here. Even if I'm doing anything, any positive change... You know, those of us that have been through it, it is time for us to stop laying down. We have had enough. We need representation in Congress, in the world, everywhere. 
I don't know if I have all the ideas, but I'm willing to listen, and I'm willing to try. So, that's the reason I did this recording, it's the reason I'm doing the work I'm doing now, and it's the reason, I guess, for my existence at this point, kind of, you know. Uh, my mother once told me that, uh, you know, this darkness gotta give, and, and I don't know any other way to say it. You know, we just live in a world that is entirely full of you know, our system is broken, it, it's not a humane system, and we keep living through these circumstances over and over again. I mean, we're still locking people up for the absolutely most mundane, stupid things, and it's only about money. It has nothing to do, well, excuse me, money and our puritanical Christian values, which really aren't Christian values, since Christ turned water into wine and talked about how much he loved wine, so I think maybe Jesus was a harm reductionist. That's my take. I'm not really into religions, but it seems to me that, you know, had Jesus had some methadone back then, or if Jesus had some heroin, and that was popular, or opium at that point, you know, he probably would have said, turn wine into opium, and we'd all be in a different state, and maybe alcohol would be the bad drug, and, you know, you never know. It's kind of random, you know? Anyways, so that's my story. You know, I wish it was more to the point or wish it helped somebody or did anything, but the only thing I can seem to do is to be in the work and do whatever I can to change something somewhere because I know that we can't keep living like this or we will become our worst fears. You know, we lock more people up than any other country. We lock up for the lamest things. Victimless crimes should not be punished. You know, rehabilitation means rehabilitation. It does not mean punishment. And I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do with violent criminals. I don't know what to do with any of that stuff, you know. I just know that for me, an average kid with a good family who had everything going for him, except for money and, and, and clout, it, it was too much for me to see the hypocrisy in the world around me to care enough to try to do something different. I hope the next generation maybe doesn't have to go what I go through, or the next person doesn't have to go what I, go through what I went through to see that. But I think the only way we're going to do that is by systematically ripping apart these victimless crimes and legalizing drugs and or decriminalizing drugs and looking at addiction as a medical issue and universal health care and all those fun liberal ideas, you know. Anyways, so that's my story. And... If I would add anything, or if I could say anything about prison, is that, you know, there's this odd thing that happens in prison of predator and prey. And, you know, it's they systematically put you in these groups by design, or I don't know if it shook up this way or what. I'm sure it's probably by design, but, you know, you get, you get locked up, and inevitably, if you're white, some guy will come up to you, and he'll say, yeah, all these so-and-sos, you know, we gotta stick together. And, you know, in a big prison like Chino or some other place, you might actually have to do that. All those things you say and all those great, wonderful feelings you feel, things might be different. The problem is, is we've let this go. We haven't gone in there and stopped it. We're not in there telling these prisoners they don't have to live this way because the system makes you have to live that way. It didn't happen to me. People approached me. But I was in Indiana. You could kind of turn that down, you know? I had a friend who was locked up in, in in Little Joliet and then in Joliet and MCC, and he said he couldn't do that. You know, he was raised in a biracial family, and, and like, he, he thought he would die if he didn't figure something out, you know, and he probably would have. But, I mean, it, 
prison is a microcosm of our society in a weird way. And if you go there and you look at it that way and you, you see what these people are really going through, it, it's amazing that we allow this as our society to happen, you know? And it is our choice, you know? The, the point I'm trying to make is, it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to live this way. We can change it. We can do something. You know, the powers that be lull us into this state of we're worried about this politician or left or right or this or that, and we tend to forget that we're all just people. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.